Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, it's Anna. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide nine steps to love, nourish, and connect with your body to create an energized life with a happy heart and soul. You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community. Today, we are chatting about a kind of interesting, juicy food psychology boundaries topic, and it's going to kind of all blend together. And the reason or the inspiration for this podcast actually came from my husband. So thanks, Warren. Thanks, Warren. Not that he listens to this podcast, (laughs) but anyway. Over the last four or five years, I have been transitioning more from a heavy meat-based diet to, well, not heavy, but just a regular diet, I would say, into more of a plant-based diet. And now I am pescatarian and I've probably been that way for maybe four years. And in my early, early transition of kind of stepping away from meat and it not feeling good in my body and just, I don't want to consume animal products in that way to that extent. We would go to Warren's sister for lunch or for brunch or for afternoon Sunday braai or barbecue. And I would always have this feeling of like, oh, I don't really know how to approach this because I don't want to eat meat anymore, but now they're having this barbecue and it's this big thing. And that's kind of the, the whole crux of the meal revolves around meat. And I remember back in those early days, Warren would say to me, but just tell them that you don't eat meat. It's fine. Just tell them. And I would hustle with this feeling of, "Mm, but I, I want to tell them of course, because it's what I, what I'm feeling and what I need, but also they're doing a kind thing. They're preparing a meal for us. There's a social aspect and they're offering their home and their meal and, and everything. So, so there's that dynamic too as well that you've got to appreciate and be thankful for this wonderful invitation, of course. 
And only now, so Warren in the last couple of months has also been playing and toying with this idea of moving more towards a plant-based diet. And actually, since getting back from Path of Love, he had said to me, actually, you know, he doesn't want to have meat in his diet anymore. And I was like, okay, interesting. And over Christmas, we were invited to his sister's place for Christmas Day. And a couple of days up until this lead up to Christmas, Warren actually said to me, he was like, you know what, Shay, I actually didn't appreciate how difficult it is to tell somebody that you're not eating what they are providing or what they are giving or what you have eaten at their house before. And he's like, only as he's gone through this journey of now having to say to his sister or and brethren were like, actually, I'm going to be eating this instead. And, you know, we, on Christmas Day, we took a whole big veggie Wellington roast thing and it was delicious. Like we made a chan, we brought it and there was no extra effort required from anybody else in order for us to bring this food. But him being in that position himself made him realize, actually, it's, it takes a lot to be able to put up that boundary and ask for what you need when it comes to relationship with food. And this is something that is, it's made me reflect and it's, it's made me think like, what is it that makes it difficult about our ability to ask for what we need in relationship to food? And then also why is food such a useful tool for us to create boundaries or an easy way for us to create boundaries? And what I've kind of um, navigated towards is that food is this, a thing that is very much internal. It's about what's going on in our bodies. It's very much for ourselves and it's completely personal. What I eat has no impact on, or no effect rather, on anybody else around me. What I eat, what I put into my body has no impact on anybody else around me, but it does have some effect and it does have some impact on people who are in relationship with you, who are inviting you perhaps to their house or who are creating a meal for you or who are having you for book club or whatever it is. There's some kind of impact that the way you eat has on them in terms of what they're preparing and what they're providing. So whilst it's not a direct impact, it's creating some kind of boundary or some kind of taking ownership of what it is that you want to consume. And that does affect other people in small ways. And I guess also what this comes down to is the kind of relationship that you have with those people. If it's a very honest, trusting, open relationship, then Yes, of course, like there's support and there's love and people will be happy to provide the food that you eat because that's just part of who they are. But when maybe there's a challenging relationship or there's something that doesn't feel quite clear, then it can start to feel a little bit like I'm burdening somebody with my food choices or I'm creating this extra effort for somebody else that doesn't need to be there. And then there's this whole lot of doubt and perhaps a little bit of guilt or whatever you're trying to process when really it's about owning yourself and owning your own worth to be able to speak up for what you need. And it's also made me think about this process in terms of a spiritual process and a spiritual development, because if we think about food, it's our relationship with our outside world and our inside world. So the food that's on the outside and the people and everything that make it up and how that affects and impacts our inner world and the things that we can control, so what we do put into our bodies versus the things that we can't control, other people, this environment around us, how food's prepared, whatever. 
But then the spiritual world is also, or our spiritual development is also about navigating that outside world with our inner world. And what can we control? We can only control and affect what's happening on our inner landscape. We cannot change. We cannot control. We cannot do anything about the world that's outside of us, but we do have ability to manage what is going on in our inner world. So it's a very close parallel between this idea of stepping more into yourself and developing yourself and your boundaries and your sense of worth to be able to ask for what you want and ask what you need. And then I was saying to Anna, like before we got on this, this show about this ability to ask for what you need and ask for what you want is very much connected to the relationship that you have, as I mentioned previously. And when I went to run the marathon in Bournemouth and Anna was kindly hosting, hosting Warren and I. Super host. Super host. And she had messaged me and said, what do you want to eat the night before the marathon? And to be honest, probably about two years ago or maybe three years ago, I would have said, no, 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 it's fine. Whatever you're preparing is fine. I'll just eat whatever, you know, it's totally fine. Whatever you're having, I'll just have that. But it's taken me a long time and a journey of self-worth to be able to say to Anna, this is exactly what I'd love. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Like, I so appreciate it. And it was very easy for me to do that. And I think also that's testament to the kind of relationship that we have is this very open, very honest, very like authentic relationship between us. So I so appreciate you for that. But yeah, even as I was reflecting, then you were kind of saying, afterwards, oh, Shay, but you, you're thanking me so much for this meal and thanking you so much for this meal. Like it's just a meal, it's just a meal. But there's still a little bit of that. I want you to know how, how special and how grateful it is. And maybe also there's a little bit of like, I can't just receive this. I have to layer on all this thanks and all this wonderfulness to Anna to show my appreciation and love, which of course I am. And I, I am so appreciative and loving, but it's also that, that worthiness of, of receiving. And just as you're saying this as well, I think we're all just like doing our own little dances as well, because this was the people pleaser in me. He's like, mm-hmm. I must make sure she has everything she needs. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also the part of me that like one of the ways I love to show love to people is by preparing delicious, healthy, nourishing food. So you, you helped me to do like keep my people these are happy as well as do something that I love and enjoy. So I think this is where it is so easy to have these harmonious relationships is when you're meeting each other's needs, but in a way that is actually healthy. Mm, mm, mm. So do you want to maybe reflect on anything in terms of boundaries and food? I know we, we're going to get onto this in a, in a deeper way and I've got some stuff about empaths that I want to bring in. So if you want to, just before we get onto that, about your understanding your relationship with this idea of boundaries and food. I mean, on the boundary side specifically, I think obviously working in nutrition, I'm constantly coaching clients and helping them navigate their food boundaries in in many different ways. And I think for me personally, with my own health challenges, there have been certain boundaries that I've had to set in place. And I think I've probably been just from my interest in health and nutrition and trying all sorts of different things throughout the years. I'm probably very well rehearsed in setting food boundaries. Um, the discipline around food is, you know, is something that I can easily access when I need to. But I think I very, very much hear you when it comes to this idea of asking for what you need, because even though I find it quite easy to set boundaries for myself around food, it is 
very much more challenging when you are in social situations or when there are other people involved. And in the past year, as I've been on my healing adventure and doing my ketogenic diets, I would say that that has really opened my eyes to you know how you communicate with people about what you eat and what you don't eat because the boundaries have had to become so much more rigid. And I would also say that probably the only reason why they have had to become so much more rigid is because of the importance that I have placed on my diets because I want to be well and I want to get better. And I like either I eat this food and I feel awful or I do this and I feel good and feeling awful is just not an option for me right now. I want to feel good. So self-imposed rigid boundaries, but that has, that does mean that I've had to, as you say, be a lot more specific about what I need. And in a way, I almost think it's easier to justify it when you have a health issue because I can just be like, well, I was really sick and then I ate this way and I felt much better. So of course I'm going to ask you to, to help me by you know, not giving this or providing that or whatever I need to ask for. But where I think a lot of my clients struggle with this is when they don't necessarily have the, the proof or the evidence or the understanding. And then they've got to try and explain to family members why they're eating differently. And especially, you know, they might say, for example, oh, I can't have gluten, I can't have dairy. But then they get something which is really sugary, which they shouldn't be having anyway. And then they don't want to be too demanding or whatever it is. So I think, uh, I think first and foremost, it's about getting really clear on what are the boundaries actually first and foremost. And what I've found the easiest thing to say to people is this is what I eat and this is what I don't eat. And I give them a really long comprehensive list and, and that's helpful. But we don't only have to be ill to want to eat in a certain way. And our food is an expression of our belief systems. So, um, you know, whether or not you believe that eating certain foods is good or bad for you or good or bad for the planet or good or bad because of animal ethics or, you know, whatever the belief systems around food are, you are entitled to have your belief systems. You know, they're your choice. There's also um, relating to our values and also just to a certain extent relating to our needs, like how we show love to ourselves through food. And our values, our beliefs and our needs are all unique and special to us and they're not necessarily wrong, even if they are conveniencing someone else. And it's much harder to defend your beliefs sometimes. And I think it is to defend your own health. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is actually the, the key point of this is that especially when you're moving from a place of more of an ethical standpoint, we're not perfect. We don't get it right all time, all aspects, all places of our lives. So like from a vegetarian perspective, like to defend that belief in food, then it's very quick and easy for someone to turn around and say, yeah, but you have this product, which is tested on animals and you do this and you do this and you do this and all these other things. And it's like, well, this is just one way that I'm trying Mm. and have recognition for that. And then I suppose also to that point as well is that sometimes people are motivated to make change in their diet because they want to optimize their health. They want to feel amazing rather than moving away from illness. And we've spoken on the show many times about moving. You have this pull energy versus the push energy. So are you just trying to move away from pain or are you actually being pulled to how amazing you can feel in your body? So 
yeah, and I think, as you say, like it's just so much more challenging to defend it when it's it's not something that people can easily relate to. Okay, well, that's why. So therefore, I'll help you because you don't want to be sick. Mm. Um, yeah. I had this experience, um, on, I'll tell the story, but I had this experience on Christmas Day where I was traveling in South Africa over Christmas and I'd you know, been quite clear to my family members, like, this is what I eat, this is what I don't eat. And like, if you serve meals that are like, lots of different types of vegetables, lots of good fats and a little bit of protein. That's amazing. Thank you. And I've been eating that way. But on Christmas day, I was like, it's Christmas day. I'm just going to have some sugar. I'm going to have some Christmas pudding. I'm going to have some brandy butter, quality streets. And you know, like I'm so disciplined, probably like one of the most disciplined people on the planet. And so for today, I'm just going to have something that I want to love and enjoy. And the moment like, you know, that we, had like a, a really healthy Christmas lunch. It was like um, we had a turkey and I had brought this like massive salad, like the salad that I just love to eat with like lots of different ingredients. And I had turkey and I had salad and I hadn't had any of the potatoes or I hadn't had any of the crisps or the snacks beforehand. I hadn't had any alcohol, but I really just did want this slice of Christmas pudding with brandy butter. And then obviously they're serving it up and they're like, who wants, who wants, who wants? I was like, no, I want. And then my dad said something. I think I, I probably already been triggered before he'd even finished his sentence, but he made like a little comment about like, oh, so are you like letting yourself go now or something like that? And the claws came out. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? I have not had this. I've not had that. I've not had this, 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 and this. And the reason why I haven't had any of those things is because I've been saving myself for this moment because I choose it. I choose it for mm. myself because it's what I want in this moment for me. And I shouldn't have to justify that to anyone mm. um, because what I'm putting in my mouth is actually no one's business. I, it wasn't probably said exactly like that. It was probably said a little bit more hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> let the um, rage out. <laughs> yeah, I really let some rage out. And, you know, I'm still quite curious, like, why that was so triggering for me, but it really was massively triggering. But at the at the end of the day, it's no one's business. I can understand if it, it's confusing for people when you're constantly putting up the boundary, putting up the boundary, putting up the boundary, and then you take it away. And they're like, mm. what's that about? So I understand that confusion. But, uh, you know, I think at, at the end of the day, that shouldn't stop you from doing what is right for you. Mm. And I think also this idea, yes, I agree that especially if you're working with a health challenge or if you have really strong ethics or something like those boundaries are in place and they stay there and that's fine. But I think also there's an ability or there's a necessity to be in the moment, like be in the now, be in life. And on a previous show, we've mentioned about this earth is a place of indulgence. Like here we are to enjoy and to have pleasure in life and to really satiate ourselves and our senses. And, you know, in the next realm, there's no sense of taste. There's no sense of touch. There's no sense of this delight that we have in life. So why not? Like if eat you the have cake. an opportunity, <laughs> eat the cake, eat the freaking cake. Like it's going to, you know, and, and there you are in a place like, and this is, this is also in my relationship to alcohol as well. It's the same thing. It's like, if I want to have a drink, like, why not? Like it's part of this process if it's a conscious choice. And that's what you're saying about this Christmas cake. It's like, I'm choosing this right now because I want it. And I am entitled to want something, even if it contradicts my boundary that I set, because it's my choice. And that, and I think that's like such a important thing. 
So yeah, well done for having the cake. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I love what she said about pleasure as well, because, you know, we've got the Beat the Bloat program at the moment. I know you are participating. And one of the things in the Beat the Bloat is like to give up you know, the level one is gluten, dairy, sugar, and alcohol. And I was saying to people, you know, like we also need pleasure in our lives and, you know, we don't want to have this, the more flexible we are in the ways we can meet our needs, the healthier we are. So if you could only experience pleasure with food and you have no other means to experience pleasure, that's, that's probably concerning because there's no flexibility there. But, you know, food is pleasurable. And I said to the, the people in the program, you know, no, we're supposed to be giving up sugar, but if you just have like a small amount of sugar once a week and you're eating 21 other meals across a week and the, you know, the 21st meal out of all of them has a little bit of sugar in And that just makes you feel good and happy. And you're like, yes, I can continue this process. It's totally worth it. It's understanding that it's not necessarily about denying ourselves of all pleasure, but to find this healthy balance that allows us to stay in alignment with what we need for ourselves. Because sometimes we do need to put boundaries in place so we can feel better. Sometimes we want to put boundaries in place so that we can optimize and feel even more amazing. And sometimes feeling amazing and better also means eating the cake. Mm-hmm. And I think to that piece on using food as a way to find pleasure and also food and everything that we consume can be a way to avoid or to not feel or to have any kind of thing that can cloud over the experience that we're having right now. And I noticed this last weekend. So I've been doing the gut reset as in, in Anna's beat the bloat process. And Warren has obviously been doing it as well, just because it's easier for us to eat the same Empathetic, thing. beat the Empathetic. bloat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's been curious about doing it. And I mean, generally we eat the same in the evenings anyway. And so he's just made a few switches during his work day. Alcohol has been an interesting one for him to give up. I feel like I'm quite at the stage where I'm like, I can have it, I cannot have it. It doesn't really bother me. But last weekend, Warren had been doing a lot of admin and a lot of like busy work. And he'd also had a lot of coffee in the morning. I'd been out teaching and he had a lot of coffee in the morning and I could see him like pacing around the house. Like and what I would describe as like anxiety or stress. And he's adamant that he is not stressed and he's not anxious. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. And he's like pacing around the house. I'm like, like a tiger in a cage. Yeah. yeah. Like just like up and down. I'm like, what's going on? What are you feeling right now? He's like, oh, I just, I, I just, I, I need a beer. And I was like, okay, well, what, what are you needing this beer for? What, what is it, it is, is it a sense of reward? Like you've done all this work or is it something that you need to have because you want to treat yourself? Like what? And he's like, no, I just don't want to feel like this. And I was like, well, what is it that you're feeling? And he's like, no, I'm just like, I think it's the coffee. And I'm just like feeling like, and I was like, let's just go and sit down on the couch and have a few breaths just to let this feeling be there. Let's just see what it feels like to just sit together on this couch with this feeling. How does it feel? And we sat down on the couch and we had like a little, maybe five minute meditation, just not even a meditation. I would just say, just sitting, feeling like what it feels like to be anxious in my body or what you wouldn't call it anxious, but what it feels like to have this feeling of like, I don't know, a word that comes to mind is anxious, but like fast moving, like everything's busy, like what's going on. Like I needed just a, like an exhale breath. And honestly, it took five minutes just to let that feeling be felt, acknowledged, and suddenly there's like an energetic shift and there's no longer this need or this desire to have the thing that's going to suppress the feeling or to like 
put a bottle cap or kind of push it down because you've had this coffee or whatever, this busy work that's been, you know, everything that's stimulated you for your day. There's no, the reward that was coming from a beer or coming from some kind of external thing. Can I just sit and be present with it? And so that, that quality of it dissipates and something else to that point of using food as a reward are the other ways, as you said about this flexibility. So perhaps it is going for a walk or perhaps it is doing something creative or perhaps it is journaling or, or you know, a bath or something that is, that is delighting your senses in another way that is not consuming which is a hard thing because I think from as we grow up from children, we are learned to have sugar as a reward because if you don't eat your peas, then there's no ice cream. Or if you don't eat your dinner, then there's no chocolate. And something that I've been looking at as there's an Instagram account that I follow, I've forgotten the name of it now, but it's about it's parenting and, and feeding children, which is just really interesting to look at. And her concept is that when you offer food to children, you offer everything without moral value. So you have, there's your peas, there's your broccoli, there's your yogurt. It's not one is contingent on you receive one contingent on you being able to finish the others because suddenly then that's put a subconscious thing into your brain. This is the thing that I have to get through in order to get that thing. That's the reward. So just having this very neutral, yeah, you can have that, you can have that, or you can have this choose what like, and let the taste, you know? So it's just another little interesting way of, of looking at food as this reward system or moral judgment, good or bad food. Each week, we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful, restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over 100 pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28-day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore Nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore Color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way.
I remember when I ran the previous Beat the Bloat, which should have been a couple of years ago now, and Ben did it with me. Uh, we, I think we got to the first or second weekend in, and he was like, it's no fun when you can't eat any of these things. And I was just like, very interesting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I can't, it was two years ago now, so I can't remember the exact conversation, but I was like, you know, you might want to look at that. Like, is the only way that you can enjoy yourself on the weekend is, is the only way you can do that? Is that through food or are there other ways? And then it's quite like a big, it, it can be really uncomfortable to look at because then you're thinking like, how am I experiencing pleasure in my life? And do I allow myself to experience pleasure in my life? And am I actually following my heart and doing things that I enjoy? Or am I just like working, watching TV and eating and not really like living this rich, pleasurable life in all you know, different ways. So mm. it can be quite confronting, which is why it's easy just to eat and forget about it again. Yeah, yeah, but that's exactly. why these challenges are actually good, not only for the body, but good for the mind and the soul is that they help to maybe uncover, or reveal some stuff because those boundaries are put in place by the process. It's interesting. Like it's doing this process. I've said to Warren, he's, I mean, he's feeling amazing and it's, it's been very small changes. Like you know, people at work have said to him, oh, how are you surviving? How are you coping? And he's like, it's actually pretty similar to how we eat regularly. Like we've changed milk from oat milk to coconut milk, for example, you know, to cut out the gluten. But it's it's very similar to how we eat regularly. It's just maybe over Christmas period when there's lots of indulgence that kind of hacks everything up and then it's just resetting everything. But I just wanted to go back to this idea of well, my kind of theory on empaths that use food as a way to create boundaries. And this is not something that I, it's just kind of a theory that I have or an, a thing that I've been mulling over in my head. And perhaps if anybody's listening who is a qualified person who works with eating disorders or anything like that, and you are interested to come onto the show, we would love to have you and chat about this from a more psychological point of view, because I'm sure it's multifaceted. But what I was thinking about in terms of this idea that food is a way to create boundaries for ourselves, you know, we can put boundaries that affect other people, but also about our own ownership of our bodies and ourselves. If there's an empath who has lots of absorbing of other people's stuff, lots of taking in other people's stuff. There is perhaps no understanding of how to put up an energetic or an emotional boundary between you and somebody else. So everything is just so like, there's no boundary, there's no structure, there's no, this is my stuff, that's your stuff. And that's part of the spiritual practices. What is my stuff? What is your stuff? What do I have control over? What do I have not control over? I can't change that. And so my question is around, is it easier or does, do eating disorders perhaps manifest from a place of a person who is not able to put up those emotional energetic boundaries with people, with taking on other people's stuff, with merging with other people's stuff, with just like yourself is just like spread everywhere, worrying about this person, taking on this person's stuff, anxious about here, all these other things that are going on rather than being grounded in your body. And then perhaps that is the only way that they feel able to have some kind of sense of control in a boundary sense is to completely limit or completely restrict or completely purge the food that they're having because it's a, as we've like gone through this podcast, like it's a very easy way to set boundaries for yourself. So yeah, maybe if there's someone who is more qualified to talk about this from a more psychological point, we'd love to hear from you can get in touch with us, but I don't know, maybe in relation to the clients that you worked with, what, yeah, I would I would really say that 
Totally true. Um, just, you know, obviously I'm not a psychologist, but like from what I have observed and from, you know, the different trainings that I've done, when I work with my clients one-on-one and we do like the functional medicine timeline, we obviously talk through the timeline of someone's life and, you know, they tell me like so much stuff about everything that's really gone on in their life, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, so that I'm really brought into their world and understand like how, you know, how they've come to present as they do today. And definitely a very common theme with women is if there's issues in the family and parents getting divorced and they'd like teenage years, that's usually a massive trigger for eating disorders. And you've used the word boundaries, you know, another word I would just use is control. It's like when we feel that life is out of control, the one thing that we feel that we can control is what we eat. And if we, we've talked on the show previously about the six human needs and one of our six human needs that, that almost all of us have is a high need for certainty and it creates certainty for people. It's a, it's a way that you can access certainty is through your food and I don't really work so much in weight loss anymore. It's not that I don't work with clients who need to lose weight, but I don't necessarily work with clients whose primary goal is to lose weight. And previously I ran my a weight loss coaching program and then I would often be working with people, you know, had four or five stone or more to lose in some cases. And I always observed with people who had a lot of weight to lose that it wasn't so much a nutritional problem as it was a problem with, with so many of these aspects of life and psychology and um, where not necessarily restricting or controlling food was the issue, but where, you know, then overeating was an issue to compensate for things that were going on in their life and how they were, you know, connecting to their bodies and how they were loving themselves or or not loving themselves and then using food to fill the void. So, food is not just fuel. <laughs> food is just so much more than that. I mean, it's it's really how we express ourselves in the world and also how we, how we can show love to ourselves as well. Mm. And I think also there's this really big social aspect to food as well, which is, uh, I mean, I think probably about seven years ago now, I did this maple syrup cleanse not recommended. It was so it's like days. the Beyonce one. Yeah, it was Beyonce <laughs> recommended. I mean, Beyonce, you, you should stick to singing. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did this 10 days of literally drinking, I think it was like three liters of water with cayenne pepper, maple syrup, and lemon juice or something. And that was what I had for like 10 days. And the social aspect of food became so apparent to me because in some, in many ways, I felt like, I was kind of extricating myself from social life because, well, I'm not going to go out to dinner with people if I'm going to sit here and drink my water. And, you know, I can go out and do that, but then what's, what am I, everyone's here eating and it's very social aspect. So I don't know if maybe you want to touch on that with, with relationship to your fasting. Has yeah. that been an impact to you? Cause there is, there is the value, I guess, in, in coming together over a meal. And if that is important to you to nourish that and to cherish that moment of eating together and, rebuilding relationships around food is a big thing. So as a bit of a background story is that I do intermittent fasting most days. So that means I'll do like a 16 hour fast, which means I often skip breakfast and then 
eat, eat like a brunch lunch and then do an evening meal. And then once a week I'll do a 24 hour fast, which means I, I won't, I'll have a maybe early dinner the night before, and then I won't eat anything all day and I'll have dinner in, in the evening again. And so I guess because it's only really once a week that I do that longer fast, socially I don't find it has as much of an impact. It's not like with the maple syrup thing where you're doing it like 10 days continuously. So for like 10 days, you have no options, whatever, to socialize. So with fasting, I do think it is easier. But one of the things I was doing was that um, I would often do my fast on a Saturday because I thought, well, like Saturday is quite a nice, like I'm not going to be stressed or at work, so then I won't be stress eating or anything like that. But then I kind of realized that Saturday is just a nice day for pleasure. It's like a nice day when you can take yourself out for lunch, or you maybe will meet a friend for coffee, or you will go for brunch. And then it was kind of eliminating those options for me. So in that way, definitely. I've actually now this year been trialing doing my fasts like mid- on a weekday when I've got a really busy schedule. So I don't have to think about food. <laughs> that does give me more flexibility socially because, you know, I'm fine. Like yesterday I was doing a 24 hour fast and I actually met somebody for tea during the day. And that was fine because it was just tea. But, you know, from a social perspective, it is nice to go out for dinner and to share meals. And I know it's not necessarily relating to the fasting piece, but even if friends, you know, invite you around for dinner, I think it's always just nice to like, you know, like what you did on Christmas day where you bring your own so that like, or you say, what can I bring or can I bring something? And that just helps to make it a little bit, um, a little bit more doable from a social perspective. Mm. Yeah. And I think also food helps to break up your day. You know, there's like, you have your morning and then you have break for lunch and it's kind of that break for, break for day. I remember like on the maple syrup stuff, I was just like, oh my gosh, these days are lasting forever. <laughs> like it just feels like it goes on and on. So yeah, also interesting. I, I don't know if you ever know where the three meals a day comes from. Is that something? Oh, like, I don't how know. Did, how did we decide the three meals a day was what we should be having? You know, I'm reading this book at the moment, which is, it's called A Brief History of Homo Sapiens. And it's it's not brief. It's like, massively thick (laughs) Um, but you know the unbrief brief it's it's like in the context of homo sapiens i guess to put it all into a little book is is still brief but i did get to the bit where they're talking a little bit about our dietary habits and i can't remember if they said anything about the three meals i need to check that but what i would say as well is that um since i've been doing the fasting i also just find that one of the dangers of that is that usually you would have a lunch break and now I don't really have a lunch break so it's very easy just to keep on going like with work and stuff like that so in some ways it is helpful to have those food breaks so that you know we are just taking that step back as well yeah so important well anything else that you want to add or reflect on um no I just think that I've been in this nutrition health space for a really long time now. And I, you know, it's, it's really funny to like watch other people's behaviors. Like um, very often, you know, if I go out and see friends or meet people for the first time, and then they find out what I do, they start telling me everything they eat. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's 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 very strange actually because you wouldn't normally do that to someone else. <laughs> but anyway, and it's quite funny because you hear 
there's so much information about food and what's good for you and what's bad for you. And then fats are bad, then fats are good, then carbs are good and carbs are bad. And it's just, you know, there's so much. And and different people ha- are at different stages in their journey in terms of finding the diet that sits well for them in terms of their beliefs and their values and their needs. And it's always really weird when people sit down and start telling me everything that they eat because I don't want to, I don't want to actually be the person who goes, you know, that's actually probably not so good for you. Or do you know that avocados are actually not that bad for you or whatever they might be telling me. And so I think it's because we all eat for the most part, at least 21 times a week, if not more, if you're snacking, that we all have an opinion on food because it's something that we all do. And it's one of those areas where all these opinions differ. And it's very difficult to say what's what's right or what's wrong because it is not only just about the science. It's mm. also about belief systems as well. And, and the heart and the, and the, and the, and the, heart, and the personal yeah. preference. And exactly. you know, there's lots of stuff around food. The psychology of it, yeah, it's massive. Yeah. So I guess the encouragement of, of this show, this, this episode of the podcast is maybe just to like really take ownership of what your beliefs, values and needs are and how you express yourself through food and then also just be respectful of others too because we are all unique we we are we all have varying models of the world and how we see things and yeah usually when those models clash that's where the conflict arises yeah oh well, awesome. Thank you so much for listening to us. Um, and I hope it's been an interesting episode. It's certainly been interesting to hear your um, thoughts on it as well. So thanks for chatting with me. Absolute pleasure. And cool. um, see you all in the next show. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Hi, it's Shay here. Take a moment right now to reflect on how you measure a successful day for yourself. For a long time, I measured the success of my day based on the number of Instagram likes or followers I gained, the money I made, or the amount of love or praise I received. Whilst these are wonderful things to desire, using them as a metric of success left me feeling really depleted. It was only after some honest soul searching that I've truly shifted my metrics so that now I define my success on whether I'm able to answer yes to the following three questions. Have I moved my body today? Have I breathed or sat in stillness today? Have I created something today? Move, breathe, create. When I focus on these as measures of a successful day, I am able to really slow down get out of the busyness of my head, back into my body, and manifest things from a really authentic place. What's even crazier is that when I focus on these three things, all the other shiny pennies, the money, the praise, the followers, the likes, they all flow into my life with such ease as a result of me being in an energized, calm, creative, and aligned state. It's completely changed my outlook on life, 
and it's made me a much happier person. I really want to share all my tools with you so that you too can manifest the things you want in your life from this energized, calm, creative, and aligned state and feel really happy whilst doing it. Come and join me at movebreathecreate.com where you will find ways to energize your body and calm your mind along with creative tutorials and techniques to get you into that creative, manifesting state. Most Yoga Studio monthly memberships cost upwards of £100 a month, and you can join me over at movebreathecreate.com, where you can find not only yoga practices and tutorials, but also workbook downloads, community, meditations, soul work, journal ideas, creative prompts, and inspiration, all for less than £10 a month. It's like your own personal yoga retreat space. Come connect back to your body, mind, and soul with me at movebreathecreate.com. I look forward to seeing you inside of the community.